When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we'll tackle your questions on shared vacation homes and how cleanly they should be kept, new neighbor etiquette, how to handle shared expenses when you choose to bow out of an event, and throwing sprinkle parties. All that, plus a killer feedback segment where we get to talk to a listener about her etiquette dilemma, and a postscript segment on the evolution of email. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. hey hi oh. <laughs> Boy, I had to pull out my etiquette pants this weekend. <laughs> you ever have one of those weekends where everyone decides to comment on your life? <laughs> well, it's so funny that you mentioned this because I, I, I believe that this is our intro topic based on some of the first words that came out of your mouth when I saw you on Monday, Monday morning. morning. <laughs> I had a weekend. No, but it is, it's funny. You know, your friends are, they're a part of your life. They're invested in your life, friends and family alike. And they care so much about wanting your life to be what you want it to be that I think sometimes that protection and that caring comes across in ways that you don't always appreciate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I I had this one exchange with one of my girlfriends where she kind of commented on an aspect of my life. And I'm sorry to be so vague, but I am trying to keep my private life a little bit private here. But the thing was, was that she commented on it and I didn't love what she had to say. And it was kind of one of those things where someone's offering to be caring, like, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're having fun, but I'm worried about you here. And you're kind of like, is it really your place to worry about that? And, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I'm telling you that I'm happy and I'm enjoying my life and I'm really comfortable and confident with it. So why are you questioning that? And to be fair, there are times in life where your friends should question it. There are safety reasons. There are good things that people step up and do. So I always want my friends to feel confident talking to me like that. But I I admit that I wasn't incredibly comfortable hearing what was being said to me. And I just was one of those things where you're like, I'm in this situation and I understand it and I'm okay with it. And my health's not at risk. My mental stability is not at risk. So maybe don't put it down for me. And what was really great was that the next day I got a text message from her that said, hey, you know, I realized I said something to you and it was coming from a good place, but you also sounded like you were really okay and happy. And I want you to know that I'm supportive of you if that's what you want. And I just wrote back and said, 
I am so grateful for you to care for me and to and to have in your head and your heart your best intentions for me. And I'm really grateful that you also can turn around and say something like this, where you recognize that I am happy and I am okay. And that meant the world to me. And I just I loved that exchange because it gave room for both the concern and the support. And that to me was a great etiquette moment from from a friend that I really care about having great friendship with. I'm so glad the story had a happy ending. I know, right? <laughs> no, it is. And and those friends, they are so important. The yeah. people that can challenge you a little bit, that can bring their concerns to you in in the spirit of caring. And there is such a wise and natural caution that emerges from that thought that oftentimes criticism can come masked as concern, that it's very right? easy for our good-natured worry to maybe not be quite as good-natured as we intend it to be or maybe even think it is. And the flip, too, that just simple caring can come across as deep concern. So you get the flip of it, too, where either it can be presented too preciously or it can be received too um, sensitively. I don't know if that's a word. Well, I, I happen <laughs> to know and appreciate how important this person is in your life. Aww, and She's a good girlfriend. Yeah. It's, it's also it's really nice to hear that the relationship is that rich, that full, and really can ride the, the rises and falls yeah. <laughs> that are natural in any friendship. Well, that's my life, and we have a show to get to. <laughs> but I think that we probably have some good questions today from some people who are dealing with some issues with friends. Let's get to it. We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. On each and every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question begins, and it's called, Shoot, it's shingles. <laughs> Nuts. I know. <laughs> Good afternoon. My situation is as follows. I was invited to a bachelor at party at a lake house and each attendee had to pay $200. This was for the house rental and boat rental for two nights. There were at least 14 women that attended. Unfortunately, two days before the party, I came down with shingles and was unable to attend. Since I am not in the wedding, but just a friend that was invited to attend the party weekend, may I ask for half of my money back? The circumstances were beyond my control for not being able to attend. I understand that the party planners had to budget with the number of people attending. If I was in the wedding, I would have no problem giving that money for the party. But since I'm not... Should I be able to get my money back, or at least some of it? How should I go about handling that? If the host pushes back, how should I handle that? I did send a message and never heard back from the host and had to follow up two weeks later. And then the host responded with, Do you expect me to pay you out of my pocket? And then she defriended me on Facebook. I feel her actions were very rude and classless. I will be seeing her at my friend's wedding because she's the maid of honor and the sister of the bride. A part of me wants to say something to her. I'm confused on how to properly handle this situation. Sincerely, Jessica. Oh, Jessica, 
this is a really difficult situation. It's a tough one. And it sounds like you're you're a couple weeks into the uncomfortableness of the situation, and that can make it particularly difficult to start to untangle. And I want to start off just by acknowledging that, that there are some hurt feelings here. There's money involved. and There's illness, too, like serious, painful illness. There's a wedding. There's a wedding. <laughs> um, and there's there, there's old friendships that are at stake as well. So I want to start to parse it and start to pull it apart a little bit. First of all, I think that you don't need to apologize or feel bad that you got sick and couldn't attend. I just want to lay the the foundation, the groundwork underneath the rest of advice that we're going to give. And things like that happen. Shingles is a particularly painful and difficult thing to come down with. And not being able to attend isn't something that you're going to be able to control. So you let people know as soon as possible. And unfortunately, there is now a financial burden. There is a cost to bear. And because you've already put your money in, in some ways that cost is going to fall back on you that you haven't discussed contingencies with the group. There isn't a plan in place. So essentially people are left in the situation that they that they started in when the cancellation happened. And at that point, you had contributed for your share of this. I think it's reasonable to reach out and talk to the host about how the weekend went to touch base. But the ask for money back is something that I think would need to be handled very delicately and you would need to be prepared for whatever response that you heard from somebody if you were going to make an ask like that. I think it is rude for someone not to respond, just to simply ignore that message. And I want to acknowledge that and acknowledge that that particular lack of courtesy, particularly when you're talking about something like money and... And someone who's sick, like... Of all times, I feel like that's a little kick them when they're down. It's 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 tough. And I think that two weeks is a reasonable amount of time to wait before you reach out again to someone to follow up just to be sure that your message was received, that it even got there. Um, and I also think that the response of, well, do you expect me to pay out of pocket? I, I, I don't have any other context for that message. If that was the only reply, that is curt, it's short, it... Um, it's flippant. Exactly. It's I, rude. I, I, It's rude. And she might be perceiving your ask as rude. And this is one of those examples that we love to point to where two rudes don't make the situation any better. In fact, they make it decidedly worse because now you've got a situation where she's been rude not replying. When she did reply, she's rude. And now there's grievance potentially on both sides. And there's people on both sides who feel like they're in the right as well and are both correctly in that etiquette right place. So now becomes the time where somebody has to retake that high road. And I think that that's going to fall on you in this situation because you're the one who's clearly thinking about it and trying to process this with some intentionality. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. 
I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. I just want to applaud my cousin for an amazing answer. I completely agree. I really wish that what had happened was that you let these gals know that you have the shingles and that you won't be able to attend the wedding weekend. And they, I wish they had turned around and said, oh, my gosh, we are so sorry to hear this news. We hope you're well enough by the time the wedding comes around so that you can still come to the wedding. We will be thinking of you. And then I wish they could have said something like, you know what, we're going to ask each of the girls if they'd be willing to chip in whatever they can to help give you your money back because we know you're not going to enjoy this weekend with us. Or I could reimburse you 50 bucks, but unfortunately out of pocket, that's all I could do for my, you know, to be able to help you out a little bit. Or we'd love to Skype you in so at least you could see some of the fun and hang out and be a part of some of the conversation from afar. I would have loved to have seen this maid of honor and and this bride handle that in that kind of a way for you. Because I think that even if they couldn't give you the money back, they would at least be trying to show you that you are welcome, that you are a part of this wonderful thing that is happening. And that's really what you want. And I am so sorry that that's not what happened. Moving forward, it's up to you whether you decide to say anything or not. I think if you do, you can say, well, I'm sorry that it didn't work out that I could be there. And I understand that, of course, I don't want you to have to pay out of pocket for this. Um, I hope you all enjoy the weekend and we'll see you at the wedding. And you can always, when Dan says take the etiquette high road, that's taking the etiquette high road. You can simply just respond with a polite and encouraging response and it's it's not fun. You're not getting what you want out of it. I don't think you were treated right. But at least your behavior on that end will be OK. And you'll feel confident, I hope, going to that wedding and saying hello to this person who is rather nasty to you. No, I was I was going to ask you. So what does that etiquette high road look like? How do you handle the, the expected coming interaction? And um, as I was hearing you talk, I was thinking to myself, well, absolutely, we know one of those answers. And that's that at any wedding that you're attending, you want the focus to be entirely on the happy couple. Yeah. So anything that starts to distract or, or, or bring that attention away from the really important reason that everybody's together at that event is bad etiquette, is bad form. So you can absolutely hold yourself accountable to that, even if you don't feel like this person has treated you well and you don't have a lot of interest in engaging with them. You can say to yourself, you know, that is a, a, a sub concern. That is a lower level problem for me on this particular wedding day. And my job on this day is to really keep my attention on the happy event that we're all here to celebrate. Jessica, 
we hope that that helps. But more importantly, we hope that you get better fast. The shingles are not fun. And we really feel for you being in this situation. It's a little like salt in the wound. But we really hope that the shingles clear up and that you're able to go to the wedding and have a really fabulous time supporting one of your close girlfriends. Our next question is about something that I'm just learning about. Sprinkles. Dear Lizzie and Dan, my question for you is regarding baby showers, or specifically baby sprinkles. In case this is a regional tradition you are unfamiliar with, the sprinkle is meant to be a smaller scale celebration for a mother expecting subsequent children after her first. I've been attending sprinkles for a couple of years now, but it seems the smaller scale has gotten lost over time. Now I feel as though friends are throwing multiple full-blown showers for a mother's second, third, and so on child. Take this extreme case, for example. I have a good friend who was married two years ago, for which I was a bridesmaid, hosted a wedding shower, and flew to both her bachelorette party and wedding destination, one of which was international. She became pregnant on her honeymoon, so eight months after the wedding, I again hosted a lovely shower to celebrate her forthcoming baby by renting a nice venue, catering food, and purchasing an expensive gift from her elaborate registry. Now she is pregnant with her second child, 15 months after the first. This baby is the same gender as the first, so one might assume she will be able to reuse many of the wares she received at her first baby shower. The grandmother has asked me to help host a sprinkle, which again will take place at a venue for rent with catered food, a guest list of 30-plus, and a second gift registry. When will this madness stop, I ask you? The number of sprinkle invitations I receive is increasing, as is my guilt and frustration over this topic. I know it is certainly within someone's right to celebrate having a baby, but what would traditional etiquette say about this onslaught of attention, parties, and gifts in one's honor? It seems to have gotten out of hand. I would love to hear your thoughts. Sincerely, Going Broke on Baby Showers. Oh my goodness. Yes. Dan, I do. I just, I just want to say, I do hope you have a sprinkle. I know that we're just working our way through baby number one, but you know, I'm hopeful we'll have a whole, a whole slew of sprinkles well, I love for sprinkle, you. A little shower. Just a little shower. It's a little, it's sprinkle. A little shower. It's like, hey, you might need these couple extra things. Let's make sure you get them. The intent of a sprinkle is absolutely awesome. It's, it's not a bad thing at all. Um, some people opt for sip and see parties instead, where you come and actually just meet the baby once the baby's born, and that's another way to celebrate, to really celebrate a second child. But when you don't need all of the gifts and everything, it, it pulls the attention away from being all about gifts and a grab for gifts and instead makes it really about just honoring and recognizing the baby number two has come along. I love it. It used to be that you would only throw a shower for baby number one. And it was kind of about really welcoming you to parenthood and that sort of thing. And then people figured, oh, they've got everything once baby number two comes along. But everybody's circumstances are a little bit different. And sometimes it's been years. Sometimes they're so close that baby number one's still using all the stuff. So you need it or it's different gender and you want the gendered stuff. And there's all kinds of reasons that sprinkles can happen. But I am definitely on board with going broke on baby showers that this sprinkle is sounding much more like a full shower. And I want to encourage you that as a host, you can host a party you feel comfortable hosting. And you can say, you know what, I, I'd be happy to do a little luncheon with a small guest list. And that's what I could commit to hosting. But I can't do a rented venue and a, a 30 person party. And I would love to support and be a part of the sprinkle as a guest in that respect. But for hosting, I can do this. And this is what I'm up for doing. And if you'd like to do that, I would love to do that with you. 
that sounds like really sound <laughs> advice to me that you're the host. So you get to help put some parameters on the event and you definitely want to listen to your guest of honor and your co-hosts and yep. be prepared to compromise and cooperate. But um, you can definitely step back, step back as well. And I really appreciate the the territory that you're in. I, I, I will confess I'm personally struggling with this a little myself as I'm planning a shower. There's some gray area territory around showers. And Lizzie mentioned the traditional etiquette that was one shower for the first baby. Yep. And the other traditional etiquette was that that was a very small event for very close, intimate family and friends. Yes. And there's a new tradition that is much more common now, the Jack and Jill shower. And yes. Pooja's really interested in having a Jack and Jill shower for our coming baby. And when I look at the guest list of who are very close friends and family are, it starts to feel like too big a guest list to me for a shower. Between the two of you, there's a lot of family and it's a lot of very close. I mean, you and I are really close with our cousins, but you have a whole other set of cousins. Pooch has a lot of cousins that she's very close to. We have friend circles who are caring and invested (laughs) and the finding that balance between including people who want to be included and not having a shower that's just Um, inappropriate and out of line in the spirit of what a shower is, is territory that I'm personally navigating right now and recognize as potentially tricky because it's gray area territory. And people are going to feel differently about it. People are going to make different judgments and assessments about that gray area. And being someone who often stands up for tradition, I'm aware of those traditional (laughs) lines and boundaries, but I'm also aware that traditions change and evolve and that you need to honor that. And I think this is a great question about a changing and evolving tradition, but trying to retain some of the sensibility that was behind those initial manners and etiquettes. Well, and I feel like, you know, a wedding shower, you can kind of get away with keeping those really small because you can say, oh, well, everybody will be there celebrating us at the wedding itself. They bring a gift to the wedding itself. So there is this sense that there's this other really big event that everybody is a part of. And yet with the baby, that doesn't happen. The baby gets born and mom and dad get really busy. And I mean, I've known friends where I haven't met the baby till six months along because those they first disappear. six months are crazy. And so I just think that it's it's one of those things where I think people are looking for that way to connect. Like you said, there are people that want to be involved in this. And if you're like Dan and I and have large family, you can wind up having 60, 70 people involved. And that's just your immediate families. That's a lot of people. So it it can get complicated. You can sometimes want to host multiple small showers to spread that out. There are different ways to handle it. But I really want to encourage you going broke on baby showers to stand up for what you're comfortable hosting. And don't feel like you have to be the host for every life event for this friend. And shower gifts don't need to come off the registry. It's good to take a look at the registry. But if there isn't something in your budget there, there are many possibilities and ways to participate and attend showers that aren't necessarily so expensive and might allow more people to participate. And with that latitude, you might be able to think about an expanded guest list or broader participation. Going broke on baby showers, we hope this helps. And we definitely want to acknowledge all sides of this equation and support you as you try to figure out what's the appropriate line to walk somewhere in the middle. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling 
wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Here, let's try another trick. I like our next question because I've actually been in this situation where I was asked to move my car, and it was kind of a funny one. But the the next question is titled, To Hit Your Car or Not to Hit Your Car? Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My husband and I recently moved into our first home. Congratulations. (laughs) As of yet, we haven't met any of our neighbors, but we are encountering an issue where your advice is needed. Parked across the street in front of our driveway. So this is just so that you know, we got we got a picture with this one. End of driveway and then on the other side of the street there's a car parked directly across from the driveway, parallel parked along the curb. Parked across the street in front of our driveway is a car. In the weeks since we've been here, the car hasn't moved. The car makes backing out of our driveway trickier than it should be. I've attached a picture for reference. While not a huge concern now, I am worried about this arrangement when the winter months arrive. Is there a way to appropriately address this? We plan on being in this neighborhood for a while, so we want to start things out on the right foot and not be dubbed those neighbors in our first weeks. However, we also want to address concerns that we think seem reasonable, not to mention there are city codes relating to parking on the street. So how can we take this on? Sincerely, new kid on the block. Welcome to the neighborhood, new kid on the block. Congratulations on being in your first home. That is so exciting. It really is. And um, bravo. I want to applaud your efforts to be good neighbors. Yes. To think about making a, a soft entry into your new neighborhood. And as you mentioned, this being a place that you intend to live and want to build a life, I think that you are so wise to be careful about uh, how and when you have those first interactions. And I think that what you can do here is lay some groundwork first. Um, You know, you're a couple weeks in, so you're still in new move-in territory. I would start introducing myself around the neighborhood. I would start just saying hi, being recognized as a friendly person. You know, the snow hasn't come just yet, so we have a few weeks, depending on where you actually live. Hopefully. I really hope it's a few weeks. I hope it's a couple months, but um, until that snow is a problem. So what I would suggest is to wait it out a little while longer, while you do some groundwork of getting to know your neighbors, having some of those friendly, simple conversations. Hi, we just moved in next door. Oh, yeah, you know, my partner works at such and such and I'm over at this place or we just have a new baby. And so anytime you want to go for a dog walk or, you know, anything that you can do to lay some groundwork and get some friendliness going, because that's going to put you in a good position to make a request like this. And it's not a big ask. This is not a crazy ask. This is a very simple ask just to move the car a few feet forward, a few feet back, maybe keep it in the driveway. You might find out a little more information. The car, I mean, it doesn't look like the car is up for sale from the photo. There's no for sale signs on it or anything. But you might find something that could make you understand why this car has just been left where it is. You, you just never know. So lay some groundwork, uh, you know, get those those friendly experiences, friendly exchanges going so that you can feel really confident saying, hey, is there any chance you might be able to move the car like a few feet forward, few feet back so that backing out is a little bit easier? I get so scared that I'm just going to hit it one day. 
I have almost nothing to add to that, except that in those friendly first exchanges, who knows what you might find out? They might be really annoyed about that car also. You might know already that it belongs to someone who lives in that house, but it's also entirely possible that that as you get to know your neighbors, you're going to discover there's a a slightly different story and that maybe it's your neighbors who are going to be calling the police to have that car removed. (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Hoping, fingers crossed for you. (laughs) That it's something easy like that. New kid on the block. If we were in your neighborhood, we would happily move that car for you. We wish you the best of luck moving forward, and we hope that your winter goes smoothly. I love our next question. It's titled Cottage Cleaning Quandary. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I continue to be an awesome fan of your awesome podcast. Awesome! (laughs) I hope you can help with this quandary. My mother-in-law has had a cottage for over 20 years that my sister-in-law has recently taken over the care of. In the past, when we visited the cottage was clean and pleasant, but it was not so when we visited Labor Day weekend. My husband believes that other siblings and their children have gone there to stay and left things gross. It is mainly the upstairs that was awful, and his sister probably doesn't go up there much. My family has a cabin, and there is a list of closing up tasks on the fridge that my father made. I'm wondering if I could make a similar list for the cottage. Take off your sheets, clean the toilet, tub and sink area, lay out your towels to dry, etc. Then, when anyone visits, they would just have to make their bed, do a load of towel sheets, and spiff up the bathroom when they arrive. These are all things that we do whenever we leave. Could I write a silly poem and cross-stitch it? (laughs) I hate to be a pain, but I also hate to lose the special place to all of us over the inconsideration of a few. Help. And thanks that in my mind I'm hearing your thoughtful voices. Kind regards. No sweet dreams in your dirty sheets. <laughs> I love that sign off. Mm-hmm. No sweet dreams in your dirty sheets. Um, first of all, I love that your family has this. Dan and I grew up with this. Emily Post's house on Martha's Vineyard was one that was shared among all of my our parents' generation, the fourth generation. And we grew up having a cleaning list that we followed at the end of each two-week stay. That We all, we all got two weeks in the summer to go down there, and there were things things you had. I remember being so annoyed when I was a kid that my last day on the vineyard had to be spent taking out the trash, doing all the sheets, doing the towels, mopping and vacuuming everything. Sweeping out the annex. Oh my gosh. The amount of sand that three kids can create. Oh my goodness. Anyway, we sympathize and I'm going to encourage you to turn to your sister-in-law for this. Um, You might even have your husband talk to her since I'm assuming they're siblings, but it's, it's, or, or if it's your brother, you know, turn to your brother and, and have him talk to his wife about it. I would suggest that, that because the kind of management of the house is a little different and the family's using the house in a different way from when mom took care of it, that it's time to put some common practices in place. And I would suggest, you could say, hey, my family does this and it's been working really well. Would you be willing to try it and come up with a list among the the however many of you there are or with the sister-in-law that's that's what people would feel appropriate. And that way, everyone's kind of in agreement that, hey, we all want to use mom's cottage and it's a great place. The kids love it. It's a ton, ton of fun. But let's make sure that it's always going to be fun when we arrive and people know how to leave it so that it's really closed up. We're not going to get animals. We're not going to worry about things molding or going bad or being gross when the next person arrives. 
I think that is so reasonable. And the only thing that I would add is that if there are tasks that everyone agrees needs to be done, cleaning the bathrooms, doing basic vacuuming and laundry, but no one is is willing to commit to doing that with regularity as part of their use, then it's perfectly reasonable to suggest a cleaning service yes. or some other alternative that um, as long as the, the, the common standards can be agreed upon, there are lots of different ways you might get there. And the, the one that you've suggested is one. The one that I've suggested might be another. Yep. And you never know. Once you open the discussion, there might be other ideas that get put on the table. So as long as you're prepared to consider those as well, I think it's a not just a reasonable, but a wise discussion to have and to initiate in your family. And lean towards that sister-in-law. Let You know, she's the one who's taken it over. So you definitely want to defer to that rather than just posting your own list or making your own decisions. Um, I think that that's really uh, something that you want to respect and recognize as she's taking care of the house. I think that's smart. And once once you've got that uh, consensus and agreement, go ahead and write the poem or cross-stitch it. <laughs> I'm so impressed here. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll leave you with a fun little story about a shared home, that 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 house that Lizzie was talking about. Emily Post's house. There was a very early uh, relationship building moment between me and cousin Lizzie's sister, Anna, where I had actually, <laughs> as part of my cleaning, left a note in the bathroom that the kids most often stayed in, sort of hid it away under the sink where someone cleaning that bathroom would find it. <laughs> and years later, Anna found it, left a reply note, and it became a little place where Sort of as really... you did your cleanup chores, you might come across this <laughs> this note, and the cousins left little notes back and forth to each other over the years, over the summers, and there were a good twenty some odd notes by the end in that little beneath the sink vanity. It was it exactly. was really funny. <laughs> so good luck initiating a new tradition in your family. Thank you for your questions and don't forget to send us updates and comments to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860 you can also hit us up on twitter and facebook just remember to use the hashtag awesome etiquette so that we know you want your question or comment on the show you mean that's all there is just what we've talked about oh no but you already know a great deal and you can learn still more by watching mother and dad and other people who have good manners We've reached that point in the show where we get to hear a little bit of your feedback, and we have something very special queued up today. We're going to talk to Elise, who sent us a question about a a situation that arose that is uh, very topical. It speaks to the current moment. And Elise was remarkable. She is a a listener to the podcast who worked through the problem-solving process that we often talk about here for solving difficult situations or for approaching relationship dilemmas where there isn't a particular or clear point of etiquette or manner that's going to come to your rescue. So um, without further ado, Lizzie and I would like to welcome Elise to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today, Elise. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be able to work this out with you guys. Oh, we're, we are so grateful that, that you're willing to do this on air with us. And if you don't mind, just tell us in the, the audience a little bit about what happened, what led us to this place where we're on this phone call. All right. Well, the situation is actually between my boyfriend and his mother. He and I have been together for about two years now, and we actually do live long distance. So a lot of our communication is through social media and various things like that. I am quite close with his family as well. And the main issue that kind of came about is surrounding Facebook and the political season with the election. 
Um, my boyfriend and his mother have very different political views. They've known this for a very long time now. It has caused conflict in the past. Mm-hmm. It got to the point when they would discuss it with each other over the phone or in person that his mother eventually said, we can't talk about this. And you know what? We all we all kind of agreed that <laughs> let's just not talk about it. Yeah, that wasn't really held up on her end. Interesting. Um, she is a a big fan of posting her political views, articles, whatnot on her own Facebook, which is fine. I I don't agree with the post. Neither does he. But you know, it's your own page. Post whatever you'd like. The problem sort of came when she would tag him in things, comment on things that he would post about his own political beliefs on his page, and she eventually started posting articles regarding her own opinions onto his page. So not in a message or you know something direct to him, not in an email or a text message. She was posting um, articles that she knew he did not agree with right on his own Facebook page, and... Um, it kind of got to the point where he was realizing some of the sources were, um, you know, not very reputable. And we kind of tried to work it out, figure out what to say, because he didn't want other people seeing these posts and thinking he agreed. Nor right. did he want people really to see him arguing with his mother on Facebook. Aww. Right. <laughs> so we kind of discussed it and we tried to think about what's the best way to approach this. Because his first reaction was, I should just delete my Facebook. And I said, you know, that's not really fair to you, for you to have to get rid of social media because your mom's bothering you. Yeah. Long story short, what he decided to do is he messaged his mother and said, because um, I should mention also, he's pretty new back to Facebook. He um, took quite a long hiatus and then rejoined. Okay. So he's only been back on Facebook for maybe a month or two. Oh, wow. He ended up messaging his mother and saying, Mom, I'm really glad to have you. As a Facebook friend, I'm glad we have another way to connect. However, I would appreciate if you don't post political articles to my wall. If you want to share it with me, you know, do it via email or text or something along those lines. But please don't post it to my wall because these aren't things I agree with and they aren't things I want other people to see. And she did not take it well. Oh, no. Yeah, it got to the point where um, she kind of gave him the silent treatment for a few days. And then he calls her because um, he lives very far away from her as well. He calls her to just kind of see what's going on. And uh, his dad answers and says, you know, you really made mom upset. Uh Uh-oh. And she refused to speak to him. So that's kind of where we are right now. So this is um, one thing Dan and I have have brought up on the podcast recently is is when you try to do it well you work a sample script you try to put the positive first do that constructive sandwich or the comp the the right you know all of those praise concerns thank you that's what it is praise concerns suggest and it didn't go well and sometimes it doesn't go well and then then you have to deal with that that's a whole other etiquette situation yeah, no, I, 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 as you tell the story, Elise, I'm, I find myself thinking, well, that's perfectly reasonable. Oh, this kind of thing happens all the time, a parent with different political views. And, yeah. oh, they're right. crossing signals on Facebook. That's normal. Oh, time to establish some boundaries. And, okay. Um, the, the fact that that message happened in private, that it was sent just directly to her so that yeah. he wasn't airing dirty laundry in public. And, and even the tone of that message all, I think, well, seem imminently reasonable to me. And, and he used the medium that this was occurring on to reach out 
in, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that it stung mom a little bit. And I'm, I'm a little surprised at her reaction only because she was the one that brought up, let's agree to disagree and not talk politics together. And it does seem strange to me that then the next behavior that you're experiencing with her is her using Facebook to talk politics with you. And yeah, that's our confusion. Yeah. We don't know what to do. Which is such a public discussion. There, there is no more public discussion. There are, uh, we, we often say anything that you do online has a digital signature that attaches it to you. And you need to be prepared for anything that you do online to be the headline in your local paper or to be part of your professional reputation. And I, I just want to l- lay that sort of foundational groundwork principle that it is not only your right, but your responsibility to care about your image online and how you're represented there. And... It's not just advisable, it's wise for you to take care with that image. Protect it. And it wasn't something that came up in your email, but I was really curious to hear you acknowledge that one possible solution was just delete the Facebook account Mm -hmm. to remove yourself from the social media environment. And we often talk about in that that problem-solving process, one of the the steps is to give yourself a number of solutions. And that oftentimes giving yourself those choices is a really powerful tool for helping to make a good choice. And I really like the way you put a solution on the table that wasn't what you went with, that, you know... I, I. Participation is not obligatory. I don't even need to be in this space. And I could opt out if it's too complicated, if it's going to damage a family relationship that matters more to me than my participation here. It's an option for me to just remove myself. And it's still an option. I also like the the, the balance and the thinking of, you know... I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that I, there, there is a certain generosity of spirit to participating in social media, and there are relationships there that are valuable and worthwhile. And you might not want to sacrifice those relationships because of a, a misunderstanding about a, a tier two conversation. So my brain immediately goes to the place of, okay, what are the controls that I have in place? Well, I can control whether or not my mother is allowed to post on my wall, correct? That's a feature of Facebook. You can block someone. Right. Right. So, but here's the thing. It's your mom. So it's not like, you know, she's going to notice. So I really want to applaud you guys for not just blocking mom immediately and not giving her any warning. And I think that at least this, this first attempt... And it might have gone the route of of calling mom and talking to her about it and referencing the past conversations about, hey, mom, we had agreed not to talk politics with each other. And even though you're doing it on Facebook, that's still talking politics with me. So I'd appreciate it if we left politics out of our Facebook interactions. Um, I love you. I want to participate with you and share our lives together on Facebook. But politics, we agreed we wouldn't go there. And so I want to remind you that this is still a place that we're choosing not to go together. Um, And that might be a way to have gone about it where you're getting that verbal communication where that's a little more normal for the two of them as opposed to the written message where mom can't hear the caring tone that he delivers it in. I I liked hearing mom I love you as part of that message. Mom I love you. Um, But so now because we didn't go the verbal route on round one doesn't mean we can't go the verbal route now. And I think it would be totally appropriate to, I know mom didn't want to talk to him, but I'm hoping after a couple of weeks, mom's going to be willing to talk to him now. Hopefully sooner than a week. Yeah, two. exactly. Right. right. Um, but, yeah. Hopefully it's time for them to kind of uh, squash the beef. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I think he could easily still say something very similar to the script we just gave, uh, where you say, hey, mom, 
I don't think I quite got this right when I communicated it to you because I wasn't able to tell you how glad I am that we we talk a lot, but I do really want us to remember what we had agreed upon. And and I need to ask for that because these posts aren't something I'm comfortable with. And that's all I was trying to communicate to you. But I'm, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings in doing so because there's a lot of great things about connecting with you here on Facebook that I, I, I want to make sure are happening. And hopefully that can get you somewhere. Do you think that we're in a place where mom could handle a conversation like that at this point? You know, I I hope so. They both have very strong beliefs. <laughs> yeah. And and that's okay. It does kind of come down to the idea of image a lot. He's very concerned with how he appears on social media. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with um, his age and you know, he's in his early 30s and looking for new employment might be something on the horizon yep. where she's retired and everyone on her Facebook friends are her friends who yep. are her age for the most part. So he is very concerned about it and she probably isn't quite as concerned to the same level he is. So I'm hoping that they can talk about it on the phone now because I don't think that giving the silent treatment is ever an effective solution. Uh, agreed. O- almost never. Yeah. <laughs> that that really severing all communication, particularly with a, a mother son relationship, where you're yeah. you're the, the, you're not going to walk away from it, most likely. Yeah, and outside of the political beliefs, they have quite a good relationship. You know, they're they're That's quite good. close. They're both you know very loving people. They don't have any you know history of estrangement or anything. Yeah. So I would hate to see the political thing become. An even bigger issue. Well, and I'll also just acknowledge sometimes um, having someone you're quite close to who you disagree with about what we think of as those tier two territories, religion, politics, dating or your love life. For some people, that could even be part of the pleasure of a, of a relationship, that there's room to disagree. Um, and as long as that disagreement's happening in a way that that everybody's comfortable and enjoying, that it's not ruining everyone's Thanksgiving dinner, but it's happening in the den earlier in the afternoon not in front of the football game or the entire family that's not interested. Those arguments can be some of the, or those spirited discussions, as you call them, can be some of the most <laughs> fun parts of a, of dynamic family life and, and social life. I do think you're, that, that your partner is so smart to be thinking about his professional reputation. And having taken that initial courteous step of having talked to mom, he is now in very safe territory to block and untag and to do so... Um, I, I was thinking about giving the advice of be persistent and polite to re-engage communication and be persistent and polite in how you block and untag yourself when yeah. people are putting stuff on your wall that you're not comfortable with and you don't think represents you well. I, I think that he is in stellar shape having made that communication ahead of time to make that request the stop happening. But the fact that that request wasn't well received also means that taking responsibility for how you're represented online is the next step. And I think that you might be in a position, because this is a mother, this isn't just a, a kind of college friend, you know, poking at you a little bit from afar, that you might not fully block her, but you might choose to very closely monitor what's being posted and delete the posts that are political as soon as they come up. But I really think that you need the follow-up conversation to happen. You need to get to the territory where mom understands where you're coming from and the two of them are are on the same page, understanding that this isn't a a personal hurt to mom, that you want her to participate with you on Facebook, just not politically. 
And my faith in this working out is really coming from the fact that mom's the one that put the halt on political conversation verbally. And I think you're going to be able to get her to understand that that halt needs to carry over to the Facebook realm. Um, and I, I think through an actual verbal conversation that, that the two of them will be able to get there with that. I think so, too. I think that especially if he and I kind of discuss it before he talks to her yeah. and think about maybe nice ways to approach it instead of maybe getting getting angry or getting yep. upset about it. I think it, it should hopefully be able to work out. You know, and the, the thing for me is, too, I share political beliefs with him and i certainly don't want to bring anything up and start any kind of debate right with his family home <laughs> i definitely don't want that to happen no so no no i can probably take the advice as well we could all take that advice and probably <laughs> for the next four or five weeks <laughs> <laughs> absolutely elise please keep in touch with us and tell us how this goes uh we really we are hoping for a really positive outcome and just know that we'll be we'll be there with you right alongside and talking to you on the phone my confidence is only increased <laughs> well thank you so much for helping us out with this i will relay all the information to him and hopefully i can give you a positive update soon. We hope so too and we look forward to getting that update from you. Elise, thank you so much for being here with us today. We are truly grateful. Thank you. Cheers. Take care. All right. Maybe so, but it's it's also complicated. Is it? Look, there's nobody here. Let's try it out. What do you mean? Come on. Well, it's time for our postscript segment where we explore etiquette beyond the Q&A. And I was excited to see this. We had a, an article popped up at The Atlantic, and they tried to make a case for eliminating greetings and closings from email. And we thought we'd dig into this a little bit because it was definitely our etiquette territory. Dan, you talk about this in our business etiquette seminars all the time. I do. This is a, uh, a really common topic when we're out teaching business etiquette. Communication is one of our most requested modules. Yep. And right at the heart of communication, right next to the smartphone, is email. It's some of our most requested content. And for years, we gave the very strong advice that you treat an email like a little letter, that it is email. And the whole initial construct of email was one that it was electronic mail. And a lot of the same conventions that governed standard mail, postal mail, snail mail, although it's not that slow, you can still send a thank you note. It'll get there in a couple of days. <laughs> a lot of those early email conventions were taken from that more traditional mail. They called it a mailbox. And... When people drafted early emails, particularly for business, they often treated them like letters. And that is still the standard. That is still the formal standard that you use salutations, greetings, and that you use closings. So you open emails or letters with dear someone's title and name in the most formal situations. You can get less formal by just saying greetings or hello or just putting someone's name Hi. at the top. Yeah. A greeting like hi or hello. Um, that you can close any letter or email with a sincerely sort of moving down uh, a ladder of formality to best regards, all the best, more socially, affectionately, warmly, with love. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that one gets interesting depending on what the email is actually based on. Dan and I have some thoughts on that for a future episode. Exactly. Um, (laughs) But what we're hearing now is that oftentimes, particularly among people that are exchanging emails all the time, very rapidly, they're omitting the salutation and the closing completely. That there is a a courtesy to getting to the point, to keeping emails brief and focused, to getting right to the, the heart of the matter and not demanding any more time from someone that is absolutely necessary or required. And that's one of the arguments in this Atlantic article is that he's shaving time into, off of his actual work life and, and his personal life, too, by not including these greetings and closings. Yep. And there is definitely an emerging standard, a new courtesy in today's information age and world where, as professionals, many people are asked to sort and filter information all the time. Yes. To figure out what in this sea of emails and tweets and social and websites and what, what is important, what matters, what's really part of your job, what isn't. And mm-hmm. um, that process of culling and filtering and sorting is a big part of the work that many people do. So if you can reduce or remove any extraneous or not necessary information from someone's stream or environment, that that's a real courtesy. So we say don't spam people. Don't spam them in any situation or environment. And the question here becomes, does the greeting and the closing on an email start to fall into that territory of being extraneous, of being too much? And And remember, too, that it can extend beyond just the word dear and be like, you know, a lot of people, the very first things they'll write are, how have you been? Or hope you are well is one I almost see all the time, especially uh, when I'm emailing with my editors and things like that. Hope you're well. Here's the column. Let me know if you have any questions or comments. And we say those two things on either end of it. You could pretty much get away with just sending the column itself at this point, And they would know and I would know that everything's in good stead and everything's OK. And that's the kind of thing that this uh, columnist was trying to get at, that this uh, writer was trying to get at is that these are the things you can remove because, yeah, we all know that at this point. Remove the niceties and get to the point. And they're even making the argument that, yes, that it's it's a courtesy to remove them. Exactly. And I appreciate The Atlantic for raising this thought, for raising this awareness. And I just want to expand the discussion in the same way that when we talk here about um, etiquette, not just being about a particular manner or rule, but being a combination of, of rules and principles. What we're really trying to acknowledge is that no one manner is going to be right in every situation. And while there is an emerging courtesy, an emerging manner to getting to the point, particularly with certain people in certain relationships, in certain industries, that there is also a manner that says when you initiate uh, a communication or a new business contact that you adopt slightly more formal behaviors and constructs. And for me, it's much more about having uh, a, a lot of good information, a lot of good choices in front of you and then making those choices well so that you've got a, a ceiling to your formality that does include salutations and closings, that does include those social niceties of hope this finds you well and uh, looking forward to speaking to you soon at the end, things yes. like this that having a a high ceiling, a cathedral ceiling, a dome ceiling that's a thousand feet in the air. Painted with gold and rose and... (laughs) Gilded and Michelangelo's painted. That is the territory. You want to have those options in your toolbox. And you also want to have those incredibly casual, business casual, um, uh, very serious, quick... Cutthroat emailing styles. (laughs) Exactly. That are going to be appropriate in certain situations. This was a conversation I was having over Labor Day weekend with family. Nice. And I was talking to to a, a brother-in-law who works in the finance industry. Yeah. And he's saying it's absolutely a courtesy. 
that to put someone's name at the top is just ridiculous, that everybody does business this way, blah, 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 blah. There was a, a person from another generation sitting next to this individual who says, you know, I work for state government and we oftentimes need formal letters to initiate a process. So there will oftentimes be an email and then we will attach a document that's formatted like a formal letter. Yep. Or for initiating certain types of, of events and contracts, I really have to use that whole structure so that it's identifiable as the letter that's going to start whatever the it is. The formality that... is a necessity to that communication. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, th- these are both expectations that are established and firmly established in the professional world at this point. And again, I appreciate The Atlantic for raising the discussion so that we have that whole range of options in front of us and we can think intelligently and make good choices. But I will also hold the territory of there being an important role for that formality. And I would also hold the space for that formality being your first option, that when you're initiating a relationship or when when you're unsure, you defer to a slightly higher standard of formality and you can always notch it back from there. It's easier to take off the jacket and tie than to materialize one out of thin air. So that's my personal thoughts, but I'd be really curious what all of you think also. So we're going to post a link to this article in The Atlantic and We are tracking all the time the way manners change or evolve here. So if you have a particular thought about email courtesy, I would love to hear it from you. Please feel free to send those into awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your comment on the show. We are dying to hear from you on this. But why? Why does it matter? For several reasons. Look, maybe I can show you. Now we've come to possibly the most inspiring part of our show, your etiquette salutes. And that reminds us that we want to hear from you. Who's making a difference in your life? Where do you see good etiquette exhibited? Whose good manners would you like to reward and praise? This week, our salute comes from Susie, who wants to commend not only her friend's awesome etiquette, but especially her sensitivity on the pitfalls of dating. Hi, my name is Susie, and I would like to submit an etiquette salute for one of my friends who is always extremely considerate and respectful. She's one of the only people I know who always sends a handwritten thank you card for all gifts, and she does so extremely promptly. However, what I'd like to salute her for today is something else entirely. We're both young professionals in our mid-20s and seem to have worse luck than most in the turbulent world of dating. I'm currently single and haven't had any luck relationship-wise lately, but recently my friend started dating someone. I don't know whether she's just being respectful for my feelings or because she likes to keep her romantic life private, but she hardly ever talks about her new boyfriend. And actually, a few months after they started dating, I didn't even know they were still together because she hardly ever talked about him. I certainly haven't been as respectful of her feelings when talking about the person I was dating. I would talk about him all the time due to my excitement. And while I did have her feelings in mind, I certainly could have been more considerate. Now that I see how courteous she's being towards me, it especially makes me realize how I could have been more courteous towards her and her feelings. And she probably didn't feel very good when I was constantly talking about my boyfriend at the time. I'm so thrilled that she's found someone and I'm really happy for her. And I would like to give her this etiquette salute for always thinking about how her actions make others feel and for inspiring me to keep improving my own etiquette. 
that makes me so happy. I, I love that you're you're not coming from a place where you're putting yourself down for realizing that this action is something you could have extended her previously and hadn't. And instead, it's inspiration to talk to her about her boyfriend now and encourage her to have that talk with you because you are so happy with her, for her. And I just think, wow, what what an awesome friendship the two of you have. That is, I'm so glad that you have this for each other during these 20s that are often chaotic times where some people have jobs, some people don't, some people have relationships, some people don't. It's all it's all up and down. And, and though you're often kind of weeding your way through this time as you kind of figure out where your life is and where it's going and what you want it to be, it's really wonderful to accept and support your friends wherever they're at with these various aspects of their life. And I just think you guys have a really beautiful friendship, Susie. Thank you for sharing. Well, that's our show for today. So we also thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. That's questions. That's feedback. That's salutes. We really appreciate it. You are the heart of this show. If you would like to send us a question, a comment, or a salute, please send it into awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message on our answering machine at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And help us out. Subscribe on iTunes. And don't forget to leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show was produced by Chris Roberts. 